Well, good morning. In this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus moves the teaching ahead to asking, where is our allegiance? And it's there in, in our reading this morning, right at the end, about which master are we serving? But having talked to two of my colleagues who are preaching over the next two Sundays, they've both come back to me and said, Brian, I think that's the theme of where we're going to be going as well. So um, it looks as if over the next few weeks, that's going to be the big question we've got, is where is our focus? Where is our trust? There's also a move from the things we do in private that we've looked at over the, the past three studies, our praying and our giving and our fasting, to what does that look like in terms of living our discipleship out in the real world? What leads us, what guides us, what shapes us in the lives that we live? And particularly this morning, that final challenge about who do we serve, God or mammon? We have a theology book club here and um, if, if you want to be involved in that, do come and talk to Sarah Jane or Sue and myself, or myself after, the, after the service. Um, we meet about every, every six weeks or so and we, we, we select a book we're going to read. And the one we were, were looking at a couple of weeks back was Justin Welby's Dethroning Mammon. Um, I was very pleased that we were reading this because it's almost an exposition of the last two verses um, of what we're looking at this morning. So unashamedly, I have borrowed some illustrations and examples um, from what the Archbishop has written. But just a few preliminaries before we, we go in and look at the text. Hands up if you think that the Bible labels money and riches as bad and something to be avoided. Anybody? Okay, hands up if you think the Bible is okay about money and riches. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of hedging of bets here and sitting on the fence. I think, um, I, I suspect maybe like me, you'd say yes, but. Um, and I think that's probably where our, our reading this morning might take us. But just a, a sort of rain check on, on where you are with possessions at the moment. I know some of you here have recently been downsizing and, and moving into smaller houses and so on. Um, but even if you haven't been, just think for a moment, if you were downsizing, what one thing would you really struggle with to, get to, to not take with you? What one thing? Maybe just turn to the person next to you and just say what that one thing would be. My, um, my colleagues wouldn't, wouldn't be at all surprised if I said that for me it would be one or two books. Um, but um, Continue that conversation over coffee as to why those particular objects that you would find hard to release um, have become so important to you. That's not to say it's necessarily wrong, but just have a think about why it is that you want to hold on to them. And also when it comes to a passage like this, which is talking about money and riches and so on, I'm fully aware that, that for some of you, that's a real struggle at the moment because of where we are. And if you are struggling in that area, 
of your finances and just making ends meet, then there are areas we can help. So do come and talk to Sarah Jane or me or James or, or Sue after the service and we can point you in some directions at that point. Jesus' question at the end of the passage in a way isn't about money, although it is, but it's about who we serve. Where is your trust? Is it in the material things that we have or is it in God and his ability to provide? Our attitude to money and possessions is a good indicator of where we seek our treasure, of how we see the world and who or what we're enslaved to. So I'm going to work backwards through the passage because for me that seems to be a more logical way of looking at it than working forwards through it. And hopefully you'll you'll better follow why, why I'm doing it that way around. We live in a world where what we have, we hold. Where what we have, in many ways, defines us. Which area of Winchester do we live in? What type of house have we got? What make of car do we drive? What holidays do we go on? They all define us in some way or other, and that list could be extended, and I'm sure you know other things to add to it. We live in a culture where the dominant economic system is built on making more and more, on consuming more and more. Anything and everything that goes into that magical number created by the economists called GDP. And it seems to be about the only measure of growth that our society lives by, certainly in our political classes. That seems to be the case. It's an outlook which is framed by mammon. That transliteration of the the Aramaic word just meaning money or wealth. And as such, the foundation of our economics, we must really question as to whether it's biblical or not. Raises huge questions if we say it isn't. And what do we put in its place? There are those working on looking at economic models which are different. But GDP misses so much. Bobby Kennedy, just a couple of months before his assassination in 1968, was speaking at the university in Kansas, and he said this, GDP measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. GDP, for example, takes no account of the estimated 150 million hours of voluntary service that's carried out by faith groups each year. Some have monetized that to being worth about 3.3 billion pounds a year. GDP takes no account of the externals, such as the impact of working with that mindset on the climate or on the growth of inequality in our society. 
And as one writer put it, from at least the time of Aristotle, it's been clear that something more than material security is needed for humans to flourish. We live in a culture which drives us towards serving mammon. And we need to get away from that and to be looking at something different. Ecclesiastes has a pointer for us when it says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. But it does go on to say, and we haven't quite got round to understanding what that means. Jesus' challenge to serve God rather than mammon is always going to be an uphill struggle because of the culture in which we live. So who are you serving this morning? Where are you placing your trust? Mammon is the master of fake news. Mammon tells us that it will buy us everything we want. The singer in Cabaret is absolutely certain that, that money makes the world go round. We're looking at mammon again rather than God. Or in um, Tennessee Williams, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Big Daddy proclaims this, the human animal is a beast that dies. And if he's got money, he buys and buys and buys. And I think the reason he buys everything he can is that at the back of his mind is the crazy hope that one of his purchases will be life everlasting. It's a real challenge, isn't it? I love J. John in one of his talks. I remember him saying about this. He, he was asked at the, the, the funeral of a relative, um, did he leave much? To which J. John responded, he left everything. <laughs> if money is the measure of all, the value to be placed on everything, then it's little wonder that no value is placed on beauty or belonging or being loved or caring or equality. McCartney and Lennon were right when they wrote that money can't buy you love. If you are living with that attitude that money will get you everywhere, then mammon has got an arm lock on your trust and is leading you away from serving the living God. Mammon has a wonderful way of persuading us that we live in a world of scarcity. So buy now while it's still available. Only two left, proclaim all the websites. Two supermarkets in Australia run out of loo rolls as a pandemic develops. The customers complain bitterly on social media. Well, you know where that story ended with empty shelves across the globe. But that's not the end of Mammon's deceits. Mammon says, buy it now, and then says, keep hold of it. Don't let it go, because it's yours. Think of Gollum when he gets the ring, and in that crooked hand just holds the ring there. My precious. Nobody else is going to get anywhere near it. It makes us selfish, it makes us unwilling to share. And that isn't what God wants from us.
Mammon reassures us that when we look at the damage that it's doing to the world, that we can spend our way out of the problems of climate change. That we can always make lifestyle changes, but if we do, we're going to suffer. So you better not do that because Mammon's God, isn't he? Mammon has obviously never been to Tuvalu. Greta Thunberg, as 15-year-old self, when she spoke at the UN, I think actually got it spot on when in her that angry teenage voice that came over strongly, she attacked the UN General Assembly and saying, we're destroying the, spe the species and all you can talk about is money. That's the symptom of mammon taking control and enslaving us. So I wonder, where are you finding yourself in conflict with mammon this morning? Are you winning the battle against mammon's fake news, which will seek to direct us away from where God wants us to be? How do we begin to combat that fake news? Well, this is where I think moving backwards through our reading helps us. Because the, net, the earlier part brings us to another touchstone in this battle of living for God rather than for mammon. And that is, where is our focus? What is our eyesight like? What is our eyesight like? How do we see the world and the world's people? There are two brilliant examples of this in the Gospels. And there are many more that we could go to. But... As Jesus approached Jerusalem for the last time, he comes up to the edge of Jericho. And there are two blind beggars there. They hear who's coming and they, they shout out in great faith at the top of their voices, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. What do the crowd see in that situation? Two beggars who are unworthy of attention. They're beneath us. They've got no monetary value. We should ignore them. Two beggars who must, in their theology, have been sinners because of their illness. Come on, Jesus, move on. There's nothing to see or do here. What does Jesus see? He sees two blind men in desperate need of help. Two blind men, made in the image of God, deserving of God's love and care. Two blind men whose opinions he values because he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? You see the difference where the eyesight is going. For one, it's these people are worthless. For the others, here are two precious children of God who need help. we go on later in Holy Week, Jesus is sitting in a house in Bethany and he's having a meal with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary comes to Jesus with a huge expensive jar of perfume. She pours it over his feet. She lets her hair down and she starts massaging that nard into his feet with her hair. And as one clergy colleague of mine once put it, Jesus was really enjoying it. 
which I think was true. But what do those around see? Where's their eyesight focused? For some, a woman who has cast off all propriety, letting her hair down in the presence of a man who is not her husband. What does Judas see? A waste of money. What extravagance. That could have been used to help the poor, he says. What does Jesus see? He sees an act of loving service which is preparing him for the next stage of the journey. Where is our eyesight drawn? Do we need to go to the spiritual optician to get it corrected? So that we actually look at events around us, we look at our culture, we look at what's going on with the eyes of Jesus, with the eyes of faith, with the eyes on the one who can provide for us? Or do we pin it right down to what money can do for us, what mammon can do for us? We will need, I think, to be countercultural here. Not only do we do this for ourselves, but we need to be willing to challenge the culture in which we live by our lifestyles and sometimes by our political actions as well. In Bethany, there was an act of extravagant generosity. But what does our own government do on international aid? It not only cuts the budget, but it also restricts the areas where it would be used so that there's some sort of kickback to the UK economy. That isn't serving God. That's serving mammon. Let's have our eyes opened to see as Jesus sees. And when we do that, we will begin to focus on storing up treasures in heaven, which is where we start the, the reading. Now, the word order that Matthew uses here is important. Um, just think of other word, word orders that we, we, we need to be in the right way round with. Um, the house white and the white house are two very different things. Jesus doesn't say here, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If your treasure is God, your treasure will be in heaven. And your heart will go in that direction. If your treasure is mammon, your heart will follow that away from God. Where and who are we serving this morning? We need to make sure, if we want to be serving God rather than mammon, that not only is our eyesight right, but we're looking in the right place for where we're building up treasure. When the people of God were preparing to take possession of the promised land, two things happened. The covenant was given afresh. God says to his people, I love you because I love you because I love you. And then in what we now have in Deuteronomy, we have this patterning 
of God saying, this is the way in which I want you to live. This is the way I want you to care for the poorest in society. This is the way I want you to deal with those who fall into debt. These are the ways I want you to make sure that you are focused on me and trust in me for how you live out your lives. And the other thing that happens is that Joshua says to the people, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my household, he says, we will serve the Lord. Jesus, in his teachings, not least in the Sermon on the Mount, holds out a picture of living life in all its fullness, in ways which will bless others, not harm them, in ways which will be kind to the whole of the created order. He says right at the end, such living is like a wise one building their house on a rock that won't be shaken. In our reading, Jesus then echoes the cry of his predecessor on the banks of the Jordan. Choose this day who you will serve. You cannot serve God And Mammon, who are you serving this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we see the sights that dazzle and the tempting sounds we hear. Help us to fix our gaze on you, to see you as our master and Lord, and to see others through your eyes, that we might build up treasures in heaven and our heart may be centered on you. Amen.